You are listening to the Swim Not Sink Leadership Podcast, the show for first-time leaders, for that moment in your career when the book stops with you. This is your window into the world of how to lead successfully. Now, over to your host, James Nagel. So welcome to a new episode of the Swim Not Sink Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, James Nagel. Today's guest is a household name in Ireland. So if this was for a domestic audience, there'd be no need for a bio. But since I've listeners well beyond Ireland, here goes. Unlike most of my other guests, his domain is not LinkedIn or any professional network. His is the world of sport, specifically Gaelic football. In August, he led his county team to the All-Ireland Championship in his first year as coach. The first time in 14 years and for only the fourth time in their history. Especially sweet, since he'd been a key player on the losing side 26 years before. Now, Gaelic football is a paradox. To succeed, it's a full-time job, but it's an amateur sport. So in his spare time, he runs a successful legal practice. In a recent newspaper article, it was said, no one has a bad word to say about him, which is a very Irish way of saying everyone likes him. It's my pleasure to introduce Fergal Logan, so, Fergal, maybe I'll hand over to you to uh, explain how we're connected. Yeah, thanks, James. Uh, good to be with you here. It's been a couple of decades since you and I were uh, diligent young law students at Queen's University, Belfast. And, uh, you know, I, I, we both uh, went our separate ways, obviously. Uh, you've travelled uh, the globe a bit more than me. I've stayed local to Belfast and up in Tyrone, and I've I've cut out a career as a as a lawyer, and uh, have been in my own practice as a partner, which I set up with another Eamon Corey back in 1996. So we've 25, 26 years of of uh, business uh, leadership here, and in my spare time, as you call it, and uh, or vice versa, I've been uh, heavily involved in. Gaelic football over the years uh, as a player and now as a manager so listen we're I'm just glad we hit the sweet spot uh, this year and the Tyrone are the All-Ireland champions. Great and look obviously you're very much in demand so from my side I appreciate you take the time out to talk on this topic and I promise to everyone we're not going to cover ground that has been covered in many of the other interviews so let's get straight to it um, team leadership and you as a leader uh, now, there's been no shortage of ink uh, used on talking about leadership in theory. You've played on lots of teams and you've managed lots of teams. What's your approach? Well, I suppose, James, my approach is that you've got to re remain loyal and trust yourself essentially at all times. Now, ultimately, you're in a team environment and you have to trust that everyone else is as, is as committed to the cause and as, as uh, loyal to the cause and is as interested in the cause as you. But I suppose my experience over the, over the while is uh, that you need to be uh, comfortable with that inner resilience that's needed to lead on a field, off a field, in business, wherever. It's funny to hear you talk about trust yourself. Have you ever doubted yourself? Well, you know what? James, at the moment I'm in and out of schools because there's a trophy going around schools and, and, and leadership and people's self-worth and self-esteem and everything comes. It would be totally wrong of me to say that I don't almost on a daily basis find myself in situations where I, I do have some 
thoughts as to whether it's wise, whether it's appropriate to do this or the other. But uh, I suppose I think that's inherent in all of us. I really, really do. And it's just knowing how to take a step back, view the bigger picture, reaffirm to yourself and then move on with others. So in schools at the moment, I, I certainly am saying to them, listen, I'm no different. I was no different to you. All the insecurities on a football field, off a football field, in business, out of business. I think every it would be I, I think you'd be a f it would be the exception as opposed to the rule for people who don't in their own inner moments think well listen is this the correct thing to do and then in leadership sometimes you find yourself exposed a wee bit because there are key moments and it literally is you know swim not sink stuff and that is where uh, there's a there's a part loneliness to it but there's a there, there's a part of, uh, of of really trusting yourself in those moments and i suppose Ultimately, sound judgment and reason are key factors in any uh, leadership role. As I say, you're a household name, but that's because you won the big one this year. Now, you've been a manager for 26 years or so, right? a, long, a long, long time. H how has your approach evolved over time? I think that might be interesting to look at. Yeah, well, I suppose uh, I had a long playing career. Literally, I played till I was 40. And I found myself starting out in management, uh, well, in business at 26, 27, uh, in football management about 33. I, I suppose the older I get, uh, the more affirmed I get in my beliefs without imposing them on Julie, on, on others, in terms of how to go about things. And I think it's just learning again to trust yourself. And I suppose you get the ultimate affirmation you feel when you do have success. I think, James, we're always learning whether you're uh, just into a business or at the very top of the tree. I think it would be wrong to say that anybody ever cracks it. And listen, we have a big challenge again next year. Now, the difficulty is having achieved ultimate success in business or in sport or whatever. You know, you, you, you're inherently ambitious. Uh, the people around you are inherently ambitious. And then the challenge resets to try and retain the uh, trophies or retain the numbers that you need in business. So, uh, you know, there's not a dull day or a dull moment. And uh, I suppose as I get older, I, I suppose I feel a wee bit more affirmed in my own being about it. And, uh, and I can imagine doing the tour of the schools, as you say, is, is something that that's that sounds like great fun <laughs> well i open up every time in schools james by saying listen my workplace is an adult workplace involving courtrooms and heavy business decisions and the likes and i go into a school uh, it's helped when you have the sam mcguire in your hands the energy and the enthusiasm that you get from youth is something uh, that's that that can't be bottled and anytime I go into a school, I open up by saying, listen, I, I really do enjoy being invited into schools because the energy and the youth, the enthusiasm of youth is, is something significant. And, and if it can be gathered in and it can all push the momentum down the tracks to get to end results, then uh, there's a lot to be said for it. So let me let me go back to something I read at the time of the All-Ireland. And it, it was talking about you when you were managing the under-21s. And it said that what you did differently and what was very successful is that you treated them as adults. Has your management style uh, changed over the last 20 years in terms of how you manage teams? At that grade, everyone in your company is an adult, i.e. they're over 18. And uh, I suppose the same in your business. 
and, and it is a matter of saying to them, listen, unless and until you make the case different, you will be treated and trusted like a full adult with sound judgment and decision making. And we expect you to go and do your business on the field or in business or wherever. And unless and until something different arises on that front, I think my style would be to uh, trust the people and uh, to, to try and let them express themselves. I think that's the key to it all. I really do believe that people have a lot to offer and it's rather than stunt it or stilt it, if they're given the expression of that, it can, it can work wonders. It's interesting the way that you say, even on that sort of under 21 thing, you treat them as adults. How many people respond to that style of management have you found and how many people sort of like to be told what to do? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would say in the main, the majority respond to that. I, I really do. I have some obvious examples in my head of people who sort of either reeled against it or hadn't the maturity or the sense to uh, to take the benefit out of that type of leadership. You know, I suppose, you know, I've often heard it said a benign dictatorship is the best way to get your business done in life. You know, uh, there has to be an element of authority. There must be a line of authority and there must be an ultimate decision maker. But most people up that chain, I think, respond well to trust being placed in them and them uh, being able to bring the rewards and then obviously get the get either the praise or the promotion or whatever it is in life that people aspire to there i have had instances where people just aren't receptive to that they don't really get it they don't understand it sounds a bit harsh to say their maturity or their emotional maturity isn't just where it ought to be and and then you have to james in my experience and this is this is the difficult thing in sport and it's a difficult thing in life you have to cut them loose look the purpose of the podcast is not to give instruction but to let people hear different views different experiences and then as you say sometimes benign dictatorship might be the way and sometimes what you do with the autonomy might be the way so let's go back to the start of this season and sometimes in, in the GA world, the season never really ends, right? It's, it's yeah. ongoing. In your case, it was probably the start of the calendar year. So some leaders take over from a success, and that's clear. Others take over from a failure. Yours was quite unique. You took over from an institution. And for the people who don't know the, the background, the previous manager had been hugely successful, had been in place for about 20 years. So what did you find challenging about taking over from that style? Well, I, I was anxious, James. I suppose one comparison that people used was after the Alex Ferguson era in Man United, how things then hit a slump. And I was anxious about that. But again, you know, swim not sink. You have to jump at some stage and you have to make the jump and you have to put yourself on the high board and you have to talk yourself into it and you just have to jump off it in life, in business and in sport. And the bottom line is timing and opportunities. You know, I could have sat back and some people may think, well, wait for three, five years. Let's see if there's a dip after the previous management and, and let's then come in on the back of that and pick the thing up again. But I suppose, you know, 
I had been involved and we had won an All-Ireland at under-21 level. I was very fortunate to have Brian Duher, a leader, a captain, who captained Toronto to two All-Irelands and won three All-Irelands out of the four we now have over a hundred and something years. And uh, so I wasn't alone. I wasn't totally isolated. Uh, but I did. you do have those moments when you have to walk off the edge of the top board and just jump and trust that things work out. It would be lovely that we could all time it in life and my business was going perfect in so many years you always think it'll be perfectly set up in a year's time another year I'll have my business and all the components of it in perfect order but life just isn't like that I've found that over all the years and uh, once you resolve to take the jump then you've got to just trust the people around you and trust yourself and, and listen James it was such a happy happy coincidence that we managed to turn up trumps in the first year If you're enjoying the podcast and would like to test your own readiness for the hot seat, then take the Leadership Readiness Scorecard. Details in the show notes and on swimnotsync.com. So at, at a personal level, clearly you were very well qualified. No, no one doubts that. But there's always a stretch in taking on a new role. How would you define the stretch that you faced? Well, the stretch I faced, James, was this. And again, we were slightly against the uh, conformity of, of of single leadership in a sporting environment because there were two of us one brian's a very very busy he's deputy veterinary officer for this jurisdiction i'm in busy practice but so we were slightly against the head in that and i think we've become the first joint management to win an all-ireland football title but uh, the, the stretch was this james because no matter what you say up the chain you were always in the shelter a bit minors under 21s whatever football you're involved in this was going into the full public glare and where every comment as i've now learned every move and everything that goes along with that was in the full public glare of everybody and that for me was the biggest stretch you know you you sometimes you know if 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 you weren't if your picture wasn't in the paper ever again would you be disappointed Probably not in that sense. It got very hot in that regard during the summer. And, uh, you know, that was the stretch because you knew that there wasn't much room or comfort for failing. Now, we have have years ahead of us and who knows what will happen, but it's not a very tolerant environment if you don't swim. The example you've just given is one that I talk a lot with clients, which is when you move from the number two to the number one, issues will come on and you're front and public. And that's something people have to get their head around, be prepared. How do, how do, what was your coping mechanism? I suppose, James, at the times of absolute anxiety, and we hit one or two of those because we were off-paced a bit from sport into the public health emergency during the summer, the way things shook up with the team and with whatever. And I, alongside taking deep breaths, Uh, And alongside learning a lesson which I'm giving out in schools almost on a daily basis is uh, do not read social media. A journalist once told me, I spoke to a journalist who interviewed me in 2015 in my workplace. uh, And I said to him at the end of the interview, I said, listen, you're out and about, you're around the block, you're meeting people like me. What advice would you give me? And he said, listen, Fergal, don't read social media. It will only feed your paranoia. So I thought, listen, I'm a big guy. I wasn't very big in social media. I'm slightly more into it now, six years later. 
But this summer I hit a point where I had to block it, say no. Friends were sending me things thinking it was helping me in my situation and it was actually making my stomach more nauseous. And uh, so I, I had to just block that out. And there were times when you had to take a few deep breaths. And I suppose ultimately, James, my default position probably is this. Look at the bigger, bigger picture. Be glad of all that you have in your home life, your work life, your business life and your sporting life and 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 keep it in proportion and perspective. And that probably bailed me out in my own head a few times over the past three or four months. Well, one that I saw just this morning was a little cartoon that said, you know, will this matter in 10 minutes? Will it matter in 10 days? And yeah. will it matter in 10 years? Yeah. yeah. So let's move away from social media. I think it's a very well-made point. Talking about yourself, you've been, you know, immersed in GA for your whole life. Where do you get fresh ideas? You know, what are your outside influences? Yeah, James, I'm going to be perfectly honest. Between work life and sport life, there's not a lot of, I'd love to say I read books voluminously or uh, I traveled, you know. I suppose it's been a fairly focused run for me. I would be very and a very avid newspaper reader, and uh, and obviously news, current affairs, and uh, generally, I suppose I pick up. I suppose in my working life, James, I meet every description of person. I see them at their weakest moments, and I see them at their best moments at times. And I suppose as I get older again, I sort of think that learning from just human nature and assessing human nature, reading human nature and learning off good bits off the people that you admire and learning the, the bits you don't feel are so good and learning to keep them away from you. It's probably just a combination of life's journey. So you're saying you're more likely to learn it at the Oma Courthouse than at the Alex Ferguson autobiography. <laughs> yeah. So let, let's go back to the sort of the, the, the journey of the year. When you started in the role what was your own personal definition of success? What did you want to minimum achieve? Minimum achieve, James, was to win one game, have one positive result as the Throne Manager or Throne Manager with Brian Duher, just to validate the fact that we could win one game. And that is literally the small step. Now, did we think of ultimate success and all Ireland's? Maybe in the back of our head, but we didn't chart out. Now, I suppose we were appointed last November, December, and we were in the height of the public health emergency, and there was less contact. But what stood to us for the first three months was all this digital connectivity, where we were able to sort of reach out to players, talk to them like this at night from their home and our home. But it was a very difficult period because... You know, if you're in business and you need to be on the production line, you need to be on the production line. If you're in football and you need to be on the field, you need to be on it. So uh, that was difficult and we had to hold back, hold back, hold back to collectively meet till about April. And then that left it a sprint from April. But, uh, you know, I think ultimately I found this in my all my life. Uh, when you set small and achievable goals very quickly, when you start knocking them down, the bigger ones start falling with you. And I found that, James, in all my dealings. Yeah, I love that answer because so often it's about momentum. And given that the sport you're playing in, it's a knockout championship, 
you know, every win matters, right? Yeah. And uh, it, it, it's a cruel world. So, so I, yeah. I take the point of momentum. Well, no tomorrow, James. I used to say, guys, there's no tomorrow. So, like, you must do it all today because there is no tomorrow in this business. So let's get the result today. You've mentioned Brian, Brian Dewar a few times and the fact that you've been the only management team that there was a co-management structure that has won the All-Ireland Senior, right? Now, that was unconventional. Is it your nature to go against convention or was it just in that specific case? Not really, James. I'm a very uh, compliant uh, lawyer <laughs> heading on for my mid-50s, so I'm not... I don't think I'm given to go against convention. But what I'm very satisfied about, and the same ultimately applies in a business, in a company, as applied to us in a sort of sporting setup, whether it be rugby, whether it be whatever team it is, James, you really do rise or fall together. So if you take the field to play a game of football with 10 other, 11 other, 15 other players, you know, no matter how good you are or how bad you are you rise or fall collectively and it's the collective James that really stood out for me obviously when we went in people there's the famous phrase I suppose that the buck must stop somewhere yes the buck was going to stop with both of us but the ultimate decision must be made by one person and that's slightly against the grain in life and in business and in sport but there's a comfort in two people and I actually overheard my co-manager Brian being interviewed one night we were standing being interviewed together and I overheard him say well we don't always agree on everything but we always come to an agreement and I suppose if that if there was any analysis of it I would say that and the other point is this you know if you rise or fall together and if you if you fall and you're not the ultimate decision maker or you're subordinate to somebody else then you sometimes have regrets and the point is we decided that we would do it collectively and uh, and see where it took us and it, it has been slightly unconventional i think i'm right in saying it's the first time ever and there were doubters james there were doubters who were saying no no this won't work this will never work and that among with other doubters and coming in under the last management there were doubters but listen the only answer to that is what happens on the field yeah i mean the the, the classic phrase that people who work in offices will know is you know this will never work or we've done this before and it didn't work mm. right so <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking so you you and brian decided that's the way it was going to be but the players weren't used to that style right no so how, how did they adapt? You know, in the under-21s, Peter Canavan was with us as well. And then I, I had been appointed the manager and then there was two. We didn't really define it that specifically at that stage. And for me and my style of leadership, I suppose, if I'm not overindulging here, is just to let everybody get on with it, to delegate and let coaches get on with it. I think some of the coaches have said that this year too. But so it wasn't really, so So some of the players have been with us in the under-21s and was it like a three-man uh, endeavour. It came, became a two-man endeavour. And ultimately, nowadays in modern uh, business or sport there's so many subdivisions needed so the subdivisions within our coaching group and our medical group our performance analysis group 
James, all of those subdivisions, you're really dealing with all of those people. So, you know, it's a collective of numbers, sometimes up to 20 nowadays, because everything is subdivided, as we know, even in business and subunits. But the, the bottom line is, you know, if everybody chimes together, then it comes out. And that was the way we approached it. Do you think other other teams may explore this in a bit more depth and, and from now on this becomes the norm? <laughs> It'll be an interesting watch. It'll be an interesting watch. Uh, I think the norm will stay with the manager out front, but I think it's capable of being done by two people. Let's put it that way. If the amount of performance analysis that goes into modern day sport was all put into modern day business, I think businesses... Uh, w- w- would be the better of it. Now, again, we can. there's paralysis by analysis, but if it's properly managed, then sport is a very high-end environment for how to max out the abilities uh, of, of individuals. Yeah, well, I suppose that's the eternal debate, right? Is it, do you focus on the output and the end, as you say, the result on the, ma- on the, on the pitch, or do you measure the inputs? Some leaders prefer to set the target and let people get on with it, and others absolutely manage the inputs and the day-to-day delivery. And, you know, <laughs> it's well, horses for courses, I think. Uh, yeah, it's all about product, in my view, James, and the end product needs to be there and achieved. And uh, so I know there's different ways along the journey, but, uh, you know, without product, we might all sink. So you were clear on what needed to be done. You had your definition of success. Then let's talk about how you behaved on a sort of day-to-day basis. I, there's, a, there's a concept which I really like when I'm talking to people. It's about the shadow of the leader. So if Fergal wasn't there at a training or at a match, what would people have said about you, about what was important for you? What did the players know instinctively Fergal expects this of us? I suppose I would have set out my fundamentals that we would represent own with honour and with dignity and endeavour and you know you you set out your fundamentals and you set them out firmly and forcefully no one in our association is an employee that way James it's different to a business at times because everyone's a voluntary endeavour and it, it me it, there's a beauty in that so you're not bound by all the regulations and legislation that binds us all in employee-employer relationships or business contracts and the likes. But I would like to think I would like to think that they got some fundamentals from me, and that even when I wasn't about, or even in their quieter moments, sometimes I was in their head, and they they were thinking about what I wanted. And and essentially, the the key fundamental was endeavor, work, hard work and a commitment to the cause, a, a loyalty and a trust that's needed within a group, you know. And, and if everybody is in that boat, the sky's the limit. Whereas, uh, you know, if you have, uh, you know, people out the back who are sort of reeling against it or whatever, it just doesn't work. And that's my experience. So somewhere amidst all that, James, hopefully I would be in their heads, in their subconscious. Yeah, no, the word endeavor comes through very strongly so that's uh, that's very true of you as a as as a person let's let's move on to culture now in companies they talk about culture all the time now you took over tyrone ga so we're talking decades or centuries of culture yeah (laughs) it's a this is a monster did you set out to change anything in the culture or 
Alternatively, was there something in Tyrone that you tried to build on? Yeah. Listen, maybe I've got more emotional as I've got older, but I would have said to them, listen, this is for people who helped build this heritage. We have training facilities now that are second to none. So in terms of basic equipment and facilities and pitches and whatever, we're very well served. But I think back to the generations who built it. And for me, that was a very, very important moment that players now, because they, they don't have a view of what it was like in the harder times to get things gathered together and get things on the road so players now you know there's an assumption as to what sort of way things work out for them but I suppose I suppose culture and environment and there's a big deep heritage with Gaelic football and all but even setting that aside if the culture and environment within the operation is not right I think it is doomed to failure Again, the more I go on, the more I see that, the more I believe that. And again, it can be cliched in business terms, as you say, James. But, you know, creating an ambitious culture with people who are prepared to commit and work hard for an end goal is is, is something that can be very special. And, and that, I suppose, is where we wanted to be with it. I think the, the past generations, that is... Uh, huge motivator so uh, so i love that one it's just that it's not relevant necessarily in in every in every world especially the, no especially i the understand that so let's look at you the leader of the tyrone team that came to victory if you had to define your unique contribution what would it be <laughs> i i've 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 given plenty of my own uh, thoughts here. In one sense, I I would prefer a third party to do any of that defining, James, uh, because I was so fortunate to be about quality people, quality players, a brand with myself and all a management team of coaches. So once I would go through all their qualities, which I should set out first, uh, and you say to me, what did I contribute I like to think I helped steer it at the critical moments and, you know, with some interventions uh, and hopefully with some words of wisdom that help. Maybe in my life and in my, you know, there are there are there's people who can just do things with a silent hand. And I'm not saying I was a silent hand in the, the drone setup, but, you know, sometimes there are there are relationships that I find where there are people who just have an ability to shape things without any big over dramatic input into it. And I think that's a skill in itself and in businesses too, where, you know, you, you read situations and you're able to try and steer the, steer the ship appropriately, either straight through them to a better place or avoid them and do whatever. So maybe something like that, James, but again, I, I shouldn't be talking myself up in any shape or form and i it's one for a third party or third parties to answer look for the for the audience they're going to hear this on audio only i've seen your discomfort with that question and i i, I appreciate it that you've look you've said you've answered it you steered it at the critical moments i mean yeah. ultimately ultimately that's if you want what's a leader meant to do yeah be there on on the big calls so this is the swim not sink podcast right so there's a combination of you know ups and downs. We glossed over at the start the fact that you came so close and that would have been the first time ever that Tyrone won it in 95. 
How much has that shaped you? That failure has never left my head in 26 years, right? I was in very good company last night having a nice meal because we agreed to go out and have a chat about the whole sporting summer. And uh, a guy, a barrister, summed it up very well to me when he said, Fergal, I know that the win this time was some ointment for 1995 failure. And, and I suppose that's almost the perfect description for it. The, the failure, you know, in any context, failures aren't easy shook off. And uh, another individual in the sporting world, uh, Mark McCall, studied law with us back at Queen's. You'll remember Mark, who's now uh, with Saracens. But anyway, his, I thought, and I don't want to breach his position to me, but he summed it up well to me also in terms of the the, uh, the joy of success lasts so much shorter than the pain of failure. So enjoy it for as long as you can enjoy it. And, uh, you know, regrettably, I think our default positions in our head is to focus on our failings as opposed to our successes. And I would be telling you a lie if I didn't say that for 26 years that has niggled me. Has, has uh, that failure been put to bed? I'd love to say it was totally admonished and gone. Uh, but I think a very good description was the one last night where I, I this summer brought some ointment to to that. Yeah. Trust a barrister to come up with a good phrase. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well. Uh, so we've talked about the reality of what you've achieved, but there, there's also another phrase which I really like, which is it's not what you want because everyone wants to win in All Ireland. It's what are you willing to do to get there? So can you talk a bit about how you perceive that uh, trade-off and how you've dealt with it. Yeah, James, the good news is I was about people who had committed their life's cause to this. Really young fellas who are, you know, highly ambitious and highly committed. Uh, it is an all-consuming arena. There is no doubt about that. And you're balancing the trade-offs with your own professional life and with your family life. And at times... Again, you have to, sometimes driving in the car is my time to do a lot of thinking and do a lot of stuff. At times you have to really default back to the bigger picture. Remember all about your other aspects in your life because there is, an, there is a possibility that you will be wholly consumed to the detriment of others around you, in particular those closest to you. And, and ultimately, potentially, to the detriment of yourself. Because, uh, you know, you can go OTT on things and we can immerse ourselves in and without any any other view or vision in the world. So every now and then you have to trade off and you feel bad about about it. And you sometimes you're young children and they're clinging to your knees and you walk out the door and you lift a sports bag and you just go training. And you, you, the first 20 minutes of the journey are like, what am I doing here? Uh, but you know you just have to again trust that things turn up right and again I suppose it's a balance and a moderation and, and not not finding yourself totally losing it over one aspect of your life and, and maybe the fact that the sports amateur forces you, you there's always a different part so mm. you, you're, you're required to moderate but uh, there was one thing you said to me when we first chatted which was you have to make sure that whatever effort you make it's there's not not 
irreparable damage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I loved, I loved that one. Yeah. Well, that's it. I've seen it in sport. I've seen it in business. I've seen it in life generally, James. And you know, there are some situations which lead to irreparable damage, and I think they're best avoided in every, in every, in every walk of life. Fergal, it's been amazing. Normally at this stage, I ask you know if there's any uh, remaining advice, but I, I'll spare you that terrible question. Rather, there's one that's come to mind as I as we chat. Who's been the biggest influence on you as a, as an individual? Yeah, well, you know, obviously, I have an older brother by the name of Michael, and you might have an older brother by the name of Michael, and uh, I, and uh, I do I do take a lot of inspiration and and comfort in my, in my elder brother, but. Uh, Generally, James, you know, I just take a bit out of everybody that I look at and see and assess in my life. And, uh, you know, obviously we all love the Michael Jordan things and all the and, and the great uh, business leaders and we've seen successes and, and whatever. But I suppose I take a small bit out of everybody and uh, I just, I suppose, my, my when I talk to myself in my head, there's someone in there that I have learned to live with and trust and I suppose that's where it is. A beautiful answer. Fergal, has been a real pleasure. Thanks again for, for taking the time. You've been listening to the Swim Not Sink Leadership Podcast. Subscribe at swimnotsink.com forward slash podcast.